friends. My name is Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Esther Smith about her book, A Still and Quiet Mind, 12 Strategies for Changing Unwanted Thoughts. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Esther Smith is a licensed counselor who specializes in helping people who experience trauma, anxiety, and physical illness. She is the author of the book we're talking about today, A Still and Quiet Mind, as well as Chronic Illness, which is part of PNR Publishing's 31-Day Devotionals for Life series, and she is also the co-author of The Whole Life. Hey there, Esther. Thank you so much for joining us for the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I'm super excited along with you because you're the first episode back in the Help and Help podcast season for the fall of 2022. And this conversation, I think, is going to be a really big blessing to our listeners, and I'm sure even just to me personally. So I want to jump right in and have you spend a few minutes to share why you wanted to write this particular book. I think the way I might describe it is that I felt that there was more to say on this topic than I had seen written before. So the way the book came about is that somebody invited me to speak on the topic of taking every thought captive. And so as I was preparing for that talk, I just really started thinking about that scripture. I started thinking about that phrase and what it actually means to take our thoughts captive. Um, and just that general conversation of changing our thoughts. And as I thought about that, as I dealt with unwanted thoughts in my own life, as I counseled people who were really stuck in difficult patterns of thinking, I just started to feel like there's just more to say here. Because I think a lot of times what I have found in Christian approaches to thought change and when people come to me for counseling is this very cognitive approach to changing our thoughts. So there's these ideas of self-talk and this idea of just replacing our untrue thoughts with thoughts from scripture that are true and just kind of this like almost thought replacement sort of strategy that a lot of people use. And while there is a place for that, while it is important for us to think about what we want to bring from scripture into our thoughts, it's also more complicated than that. There is more to the story. And I wanted to offer a more holistic approach that took into account, okay, how do our bodies play into this? Our genetics, our brains, our nervous systems, and how do our past experiences play into this? Where did we get some of these unwanted thoughts that we deal with? So I wanted this more holistic approach. And I also wanted it to be very, very practical, practical strategies, because I think sometimes we can offer people these really great biblical ideas and theoretical approaches, but it just needs to be really practical. I found that in my own life. I found that in the lives of my clients. So I just kind of took some of the things that I was using myself, some of the things that I was teaching my clients, these practical strategies that I found were really working, really effective. And I put them together in this more hopefully holistic approach in the book. 
Now, before we get any further along in the conversation, I think it's helpful to have you explain or tease apart what are different types of thoughts that could be classified as unwanted? Because for someone who hasn't heard that term unwanted thoughts, they're like, what does that even mean? Yes. Unwanted thoughts is my own term. This is not a technical term that you're going to find anywhere. It's just my own way of describing. These are thoughts people have that they wish they did not have. They're unwanted. We wish they were not there. And I think that everybody has them. And I give a variety of categories that they might fall into. So it could be anything from anxious thoughts. So someone who deals with worry or even more severe forms of anxiety. It could be thoughts connected to depression or grief. It could be someone who wakes up in the middle of the night with racing thoughts. They just can't turn off their brain. Um, other categories I mentioned are just irrational thinking patterns or sinful thoughts. It could be thoughts connected to a past traumatic experience. So that's towards the end of the book, I talk about more complicated, more specialized, difficult thoughts. And those would be thoughts connected to trauma or intrusive thoughts that might be connected to OCD. So there's there's so many different categories. And I think that everybody struggles with that at least one, probably multiple categories. But it really is just this all-encompassing term that I gave myself, came up with myself, to describe any sort of thought that you're like, I just wish this wasn't here. I don't want this thought. What do I do to work through it? I thought in the book was really helpful when you suggested two common tendencies for why we often remain unaware of the content of our thought life. Can you explain what those tendencies are and why it's important to identify them? So one thing that often happens in a counseling session that I have with people is that at the end of the session, we've talked through all these things and people will say, I did not even know I had that thought. I didn't even know I was thinking that way. Just the thoughts are revealed from speaking them out loud. And so I think it's important to understand why that happens. And those, those two different reasons that I mention are either avoidance. We kind of avoid what's going on in our minds by staying busy, by distracting ourselves, by using our phones, watching TV, whatever it is, we just don't stop and pay attention to what we're thinking. Or actually the other side of things is this overthinking, this constantly ruminating on our thoughts and going over them over and over and over and over again which you might think would help us know what we're thinking, but actually I think it just confuses things. We just, instead of like paying close attention, we just race through them over and over and over again. And there's a lack of clarity as to what is actually there. So when it comes to this topic, I've often heard people say and have even thought to myself something along the lines of how, like you said, how can I just make these thoughts stop? Like I've tried everything and nothing seems to work. Why is it that the thought changing process isn't as easy or automatic as we wish it would be? Yeah, I think that so going back to what I was saying before about this tendency to just want to have this cognitive approach where we just take one thought and replace it with the other. There is this more in-depth process that starts with knowing our thoughts. So we have these tendencies to avoid and overthink. And the answer, so to speak, to that is 
to really start to know what we're thinking, mm-hmm. which is something that happens by really slowing down and observing mm-hmm. what is there. So we want to just be able to take a thought and get rid of it and have a new thought take its place. And it's really not as easy as that. It's not automatic, just like you said. Instead, it really is this process of figuring out, okay, what's here? What's actually in my mind? And where do I go from here? Because if we don't stop and slow down and observe and take that time, the change, in my opinion, will oftentimes not be real change. It will just be us hoping or pretending to take this step without really doing the hard work that kind of comes in between, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And it even reminded me of a time recently where my friend was helping me work through a problem. And I was doing that. I was saying, okay, look, here's my problem. You know, this thing happened and I'm thinking this way about it, but I know I need to be thinking this way. Like, I know that what I'm thinking is not right. And I'm immediately, like you said, jumping to that. Here's what I I need to be thinking. And so I'm just going to think on what I need to be thinking real hard. Right. (laughs) And, and just until, and until my heart comes around. And it's not that that's wrong, but you're just saying that, that it's incomplete. And that's actually what Shannon helped me to see is like, wait a minute, but you've got to take a look. What is at the root of this thought? What is underneath here? Where is this coming from? What is it revealing? And you even write in the book that observation, like you've been talking about, is the first step of knowing our thoughts, but it is insufficient on its own. And that God invites us into even deeper process that the scriptures call examining ourselves. And I love that part because it was exactly what Shannon was, uh, she was counseling me in the moment to do, which was really helpful. Um, So in the book, you offer what I thought to be an extremely helpful group of questions that someone could ask themselves as they take the time to observe and examine the unwanted thoughts they are having. So do you mind sharing what those four reflection questions are and how they can be helpful to the thought change process? So after we have a better idea of the thoughts that we are actually thinking. So we know our thoughts, we know what's there. There are a few questions that I have found really helpful in being able to understand our thoughts better. So the four questions I suggest that people ask about their thoughts are, is this thought true? Is this thought helpful? Is this thought appropriate to my situation? And is this thought complete? So these are, in a lot of ways, these are very simple questions, very simple. And I think because they are so simple, there is almost a temptation to not see how helpful they can be. And this is something that I experienced myself in terms of feeling like, oh, do I really need to ask myself those questions? But I, so I have been using these questions more recently for myself. And I am always so surprised, so surprised by how much they help me because they really help me slow down. I think the best way to use them is to just do it, just pick one thought. So I think when we're dealing with a difficult situation, we have so many different thoughts about it usually, but just pick one of them. Maybe pick the one that just seems like it's coming up the most often or feels the most problematic and go through those questions based on that one thought. And in my opinion, it always reveals something surprising or helpful or something that I really, really needed. 
Yeah, I thought that was super practical, the way that you um, organized that. And you do go a little bit more detail in the book uh, in terms of what those particular questions can help us to explore. But I also want to talk about the fact that you know, it seems like one of the major stumbling blocks to thought change is the notion that before we even do this process, like we need to clean up our thoughts or even censor what's taking place in our mind before we talk to someone else or especially talk to God about our thoughts. They may be really distressing or disturbing. We may be feeling ashamed or just beating ourselves up for, you know, even having these types of unwanted thoughts come into our head. Do you find that even before you get to that knowing and examining that you have to deal with any of that fear? So I think that there's a couple different important things to think about when it comes to that question. One is that with more difficult types of thoughts that are connected to trauma, or intrusive thoughts that are connected to OCD, there could be some more specialized strategies that you need to be able to even get to the point to be able to talk about them. So trauma is a really great example where it may be so difficult to think back on a traumatic situation that happened because as soon as you do, your heart just starts to race and you feel like you're going to panic. So in that situation, I'm not going to pressure someone to be like, oh, we have to deal with this. No, like I'm going to give them strategies to help them feel safe in their body and to help them feel safe in their environment so that we can even talk about the thoughts that are there. There's another side to it, though, that really connects to the shame that you were mentioning, where we all, every single one of us walk around with thoughts that if we spoke them out loud, it would be like, oh, I cannot believe you thought that. Everybody has them. Everybody has them. Some people have them more than other people, right? And so I think, and, and those are the people who often will come to me for counseling. And maybe I'll be the first person that they admit to that I just had a thought that I wanted to stab my daughter. Not that they wanted to, but they just like imagined that they were going to do that. And that would be like a thought connected to OCD, an intrusive thought connected to OCD, most likely. And they may have never admitted that to anybody else because it makes them feel crazy. It makes them feel ashamed. It makes them feel like a bad Christian. But the reality is that there are a lot of complicating factors, including physiological factors that are contributing to that. So that would be an example of a more complicated thought where we need more specialized strategies to help deal with it. But how can you deal with it if you're not sharing that it's actually there with a counselor, with a trustworthy friend, or even in your prayer life with God? And then I'll make one more point about this with more general types of thoughts, because even more general difficult thoughts I think that we have a tendency to want to pretend that we are further along than we actually are. We have a tendency to want to, kind of like you were describing, skip that middle step. And okay, God, here I am. I have this all figured out. I know that I'm supposed to be thinking these things. And so we pretend to be thinking those things as we pray to him. And the reality is that, again, this is another place where we can't skip that middle step of actually doing the work can't skip it. We can't skip it. It has to start with speaking aloud the thoughts that we actually have. Psalm 139.4, where the psalmist says, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. 
I mean, we're going to talk about just right now about why we should and we need to speak to the Lord about these things. But the thing is that he already knows, right? It's like when we come to him to talk about it, it's not a surprise. Do you spend a whole chapter in the book discussing how critical it is that we learn to pray our thoughts to God? And you write that quote, only when we speak aloud the thoughts we actually have, not the thoughts we want to have, can we work through them and get to a place where we are seeing clearly and believing rightly? So can you explain why this is an important skill to develop when contending with unwanted thoughts? I think where I see that most clearly that that I think describes why we need that is in the Psalms. There are so many Psalms that start out with the psalmist bringing their honest, uncensored thoughts and questions to God. And then you just see this process throughout the Psalm of how they work through those questions with God. They're praying to God. They're asking for his help. And they work through those questions with God and get to this place where they're seeing things more clearly. And when I look at those Psalms, I just have to wonder, like, would they have gotten there to that end point if they hadn't started with those honest questions? If they had pretended, oh, everything's fine, I'm going to God, and I'm just, you know, pretending that it's all okay, would they have gotten to that place at the end where they truly were surrendered, they truly were trusting, they truly were accepting of of what was going on. And I I think that first part of the process has to be there to get to that end point. I think you're right. The Psalms are a wonderful place where we can go to observe and even get words that, you know, we borrow the psalmist words. And when we don't know what to pray or what to say to the Lord, it's like, well, God has given us the gift of a template right here. Here is how my people sing to me when they're in distress or when they're overwhelmed. Thank you so much for offering encouragement to pour out our hearts before um, the Lord because he is a refuge for us and that we can come to him. You even say that self-talk leaves God out of the picture. We have to move beyond self-talk and invite God into the conversation. And that's really where praying our thoughts to God begins that process, that dialogue that you encourage the reader to have. So thank you so much for that. I also appreciate how you encourage the reader to quote, disentangle where your thoughts come from and where they are leading you. You're, you're guiding us to really, it's almost like a surgeon, like picking, you know, little bits and pieces here and there with some uh, tweezers. Uh, but you not only spend time encouraging us to do this with the help of someone else, like a counselor, uh, but you also help them to explore the reality that our thoughts, you, you say three things about them when we're disentangling our thought life. You say, number one, that our thoughts reveal our hearts. Number two, that they occur within our bodies. And that number three, they emerge out of our stories. So can you touch briefly on those points and unpack what you mean by them? Yes. So each one of these points really goes back to that holistic approach (laughs) of as we're trying to figure out where our thoughts come from, let's, let's look at different parts of who we are. So starting with our hearts, because scripture says that our thoughts reveal our hearts, that out of our, our hearts come both good and bad thoughts. And so starting there and just recognizing, you know, the sinful thoughts that we have, those come out of our hearts, but also the good thoughts that we have, the good and the pure and the curious thoughts that we have, all of those 
come out of our our hearts. And, and I think recognizing that is a really good place to start. But it's not enough on its own because we also have to think about the fact that our thoughts occur inside within our bodies. So our bodies have a very significant impact on our thoughts as well. And we have to think about how our brains, our nervous systems, our genetics, maybe whether or not we have a chronic illness or some other uh, disease process going on in our bodies, those are going to affect our thinking patterns. If someone has a thyroid condition, that might lead to depressive thinking. If somebody has a chronic illness, that can also impact the brain in a way that impacts our thoughts. And genetics might be another example of something that might contribute to anxious thinking. So understanding that those factors can be really important. And then one of my favorites as a counselor is just seeing how our thoughts emerge out of our stories and thinking about what people, what situations, what experiences in my past are contributing to the way I'm thinking right now. So an example of that might be somebody who really struggles with thoughts of feeling unworthy or unvaluable. And thinking back on their lives and looking at situations where they were treated as unloved and not valuable, their thoughts were greatly impacted by those experiences. And having that context, being able to unpack those stories and experiences is such an important part of being able to change the thoughts that are there in the present. I also want to have us talk about another chapter where you suggest to readers some biblically faithful strategies they can implement as they seek to change their unwanted thoughts. And one of those chapters is based on what is perhaps the Bible's most famous passage on thought change. You mentioned it when you were talking about why you wanted to write this book. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. I want to go ahead and read that. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so that is kind of what we're talking about, like perhaps the Bible's most famous passage on thought change. But I'm thankful for the way that you actually take the time to tease this apart a bit for us and you reveal some nuance in Paul's writing that we might not have considered before. You write, quote, not every unwanted thought sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Some unwanted thoughts are painful, yet still obedient to Christ. And you also say that, quote, we can't assume a thought needs to be taken captive just because it is painful, upsetting, or unwanted. So what do you mean by these two statements? So this is where my ideas and thoughts about this book came from originally was as I looked at this first closer and I am not a biblical scholar. I can't say I am an expert in biblical language. I am not. But I did just pick this part, this verse apart in detail and look at a lot of commentaries and look at a lot of definitions of these words in their original language. and what my understanding of it is, and someone may correct me if I'm wrong, but my personal understanding of it is that he's really talking about sin. He's talking about sinful thoughts that are not obedient to Christ. And I think what has happened is that we have taken this verse and used it as instructions for every single type of unwanted thought, even thoughts that are not sinful, thoughts that might be more connected with suffering. 
than with sin. And so what I mean by those statements is that you could have a really difficult, really unwanted thought about something. For example, a thought connected to grief. Somebody has just died and you are in despair and you don't want to feel that way and you don't want to have some of the thoughts connected to grief that are crossing your mind. The goal in that situation is not necessarily to take those thoughts captive to Christ. They're not sinful. They're actually very needed, very holy thoughts because we're supposed to grieve. We're supposed to be sad when somebody dies. The goal in that situation is not to take the thought captive. It might be a longer process of working through the thoughts, of sitting with the thoughts, of feeling the emotions connected to the thoughts and avoiding the maybe underlying feeling or belief that there's something wrong with you because you're having such bad quote unquote thoughts or negative or painful thoughts. So it is this idea of separating out thoughts that are sinful from thoughts that are connected to suffering, which is very complicated, something that I think needs to be worked out with a counselor on a case-by-case basis, um, and recognizing that some, some very difficult thoughts connected to suffering are actually very necessary and actually thoughts that maybe the main goal is not to immediately change them. In your answer to that previous question, alluded to the fact that you do offer some strategies of what to do with the different thoughts that we have. And even if it's not taking our thought captive, which sometimes is the appropriate step, but there are other things and other ways to respond depending on the type of thought, which is why, again, you go back even to the beginning of the book, number one, why it's important to know and observe our thoughts, but then to examine them. And then especially, I love how you just said, with the help of someone else, right? And not just trying to fix ourselves and our thought life on our own and and, in isolation, but inviting not only God into the conversation and his voice, but then also the help and the ministry of other people, you know, as we continue to try to explore and seek what's going on. And and one of those strategies you offer in the book, I thought that was particularly insightful, was the, the concept of repairing your thoughts. So not taking them captive, or even as you mentioned, I think sit with them as another chapter in the book. But this one in particular was called repairing your thoughts. And you explained that, quote, our thoughts are impacted by the accumulation of our past experiences and relationships. And you point out the reality of what I think many of our listeners will be able to resonate with is the fact that we can know what's true from the scriptures without it permeating our hearts. You suggest that, quote, our thoughts can be repaired as we reconsider past memories and relationships in order to explore the false messages that have shaped us, find God in our past experiences, and connect our lives to biblical stories. So what makes these three components of repairing our thoughts so helpful? This is, this chapter is something that I focus on so much in counseling. It's a very narrative-based approach to understanding our thoughts and working towards change. And I find it to be so very helpful because it really gives us this context for where some of our current thoughts might have come from and why we have that disconnect between knowing something is true and feeling something is true. We know, but we don't feel. And that's just such a common experience And a lot of times that goes back to 
things that have happened to us or choices we have made or relationships we have had that maybe have just made it hard to believe things that we know are true. So it can really help to think of very specific situations and relationships in our past that may have contributed to false messages we now have about ourselves, about other people, or about God. So maybe something happened to us that really gave us this idea and this feeling that God is not good because these bad things have happened to me. So how can God be good? And so we oftentimes have to go back to those situations and work through what happened and process what happened again, oftentimes with the help of, the, of a counselor to figure out where that thought came from and how God might want to help us start to both believe and feel the truth about who he is. And so there's those false messages. The other two parts are finding God in our past experiences and connecting our lives to biblical stories. And those last two ones about finding God and figuring out where our stories fit into the stories of scripture, I think is such an important part of that to be able to look back maybe at a trauma or a difficult, upsetting incident and to ask ourselves, because a lot of times we don't do this. I don't do this a lot of times. Like, where was God? Where was he? I think that's something we all have to answer for ourselves about difficult things that have happened to us and to be able to figure that out. Where was God and how was he thinking about me and how was he feeling towards me as I went through that? Those are very heavy questions. Um, and then maybe even being able to figure out in this experience that happened to me, it reminds me of this story in scripture. So like an example of that from my own life in my own experience of dealing with chronic pain and chronic illness, a story that was so important to me was the story of the widow's might and seeing how she in one sense had so little to offer, but in another sense, it was so huge what she had to offer. Um, and being able to connect that to my story of times when I felt like I just have so little to give, but being able to connect it to that story was just so helpful for me. And I, I see that over and over again in, in the counseling I do with people, how much that can help. I think that's just the gift of God's word, right? Is that he has so rich as his word that there is a place you can go to for every problem. I'm not saying that every problem as we, you know, label it today is in the scriptures, right? But nothing is new under the sun. The basic human experience of a life lived in a broken world under the curse of sin and suffering, it's all there. The human heart struggles, the sin, the suffering, when you were talking, even just the verse that came up in Romans 15, 4, about the fact that, you know, what was written in the scriptures long ago was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement provide, we might have hope. And I know I personally also have found so much hope in engaging the different thoughts that I have to contend with by looking to the stories of other people that that great cloud of witnesses, how did God meet them in their moment of panic or distress or despair? And how did he interact with them? And as we take that time to connect our stories to biblical narratives, we get that perspective that is oftentimes so hard to come by. And so I'm thankful for this book. I wish we had more time for like 20 more questions, but you're just going to have to get the book and go through it yourself. So listener, if you are interested in learning more about A Still and Quiet Mind, 12 Strategies for Changing Unwanted Thoughts, you can scroll down 
down to the show notes, click the link there, and uh, that'll take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access all of that information. But now we're going to come to a part of our show, which is my favorite. And I especially want to spend time on this today because I think after all that we've talked about, it can be real easy to just get stuck in discouragement. I would love to invite you to speak directly to the listener now. Maybe they are presently experiencing unwanted thoughts and they're really, really discouraged about the process of change. They feel like they've looked at all the blogs, they've done all the things, and they're really experiencing little to no improvement. So what would you say to the encourage this listener today with the hope and help of Jesus Christ? I think there's two things I want to offer. And the first that is that I do believe that there are things that we can all do to make changes, to go to God and experience his transformation that he's going to do in our minds. There's things that we can all do. All of the practical strategies that I offer in the book, I do believe that they make a difference. However, the second part of that is that there are going to be some people who kind of like you talked about who are going to feel like they're doing all the right things and the change isn't happening and they don't feel better. And I do think we need to acknowledge that there are going to be some people who are going to deal with unwanted thoughts for their whole lives and to not experience a lot of relief or at least not the amount of relief that they want and I think it is important to recognize that that category of people exists. I actually think it's hopeful because it makes people, you know, realize, oh, I'm not crazy. Like this, this actually does happen. There are people who do all the right things and the change doesn't happen. And that, that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean it's your fault. It could be that these unwanted thoughts are your thorn in the flesh, right? That, that could be a possibility for some people. And in that case, I do think that the hope and the help that Jesus offers is his love for you in the midst of the thoughts, even when they do not change. I think that is so important to sit with because a lot of our suffering when unwanted thoughts linger for a long period of time is feeling like we're doing something wrong or feeling guilty or ashamed or like maybe Jesus doesn't love us or maybe we're a bad Christian because we can't change. And the reality is, is that the hope Jesus can offer you is that he loves you even when the thoughts have not changed. He loves you. He delights in you. He is with you. And I think thinking about his presence and his help for you, even when the thoughts do not go away, is so very important to that conversation. As you were talking, it reminded me of a quote you wrote in the book. You say basically what you just said right now, that God's love for you is present in the midst of your unwanted thoughts. It is not a reward for changing them. And I think that that is a, a great reminder to end on. So thank you so much for your words of encouragement. Just in case someone listening wants to connect with you and your writing ministry or counseling ministry, where can they go to learn more about you and connect online? Two different places that are probably the best places to connect with me. One is my personal website, which is estermariesmith.com. And the other is my counseling website, which is christiantraumacounseling.com. And I do have a variety of resources related to some of the things in this book, just in terms of teaching people some of these strategies through a class that I have. I have a class coming up this fall where I go through some of the strategies in the book and other strategies that I that didn't make it into the book to help and teach people how to 
implement some of these things in their day-to-day life. And I think that that, honestly, that is the best way to learn some of these things. A book, it's really hard to read through the meditations unless someone's reading through it for you, um, maybe at a counseling session or if you're doing that with your counselees. But to be able to learn them in a live setting, I think can be really helpful. So that is one resource that I offer. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again for taking the time to chat with us today. It was a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.